Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest. And then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have. So let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Everyone, here's what you can expect on today's episode. Our host, Rafaela Kinsipi, sits down with Alex Tyra. Alex is the Regulatory Affairs and Research Manager at ASCA. You probably know his name by now. He has become ASCA's resident expert on all things related to the No Surprises Act. We had the chance to pick his brain about where the industry is at today with this piece of legislation. Uh, but more importantly, get an understanding of what the No Surprises Act will look like in 2023 and how ASC should be preparing. We'll close the episode with a few news stories. We'll start with how you can ensure your nurses stick around during the Great Resignation, share with you what a few admins consider to be their smartest move in 2022, look at the big disparity in the number of Latino doctors and surgeons there are and why that matters, and of course, end the news segment with a positive feel-good story about an orthopedic tech in California. Hope everyone enjoys the episode and here's what's going on this week in surgery centers. All right, how's it going guys? I am your host, Rafael Kinsby, here at This Week in Surgery Centers. We've got a super exciting episode this week. This week, I'm joined by Alex Tyra. He is the head of regulatory affairs and research management at ASCA. Um, we're going to be covering the No Surprises Act this week, and he has been leading the charge on this across the industry. So we're pumped to get some of his insights. But before we jump into any other questions, um, I'm going to turn it over to Alex. Thank you for joining us. And for those who don't know you, can you share a bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi, Rafael. Thanks. I'm super glad to be here. Super glad to be working with HST. You know, I've done some fair amount of work with you guys because I do some EHR related work for ASCA. Um, so really happy to be here talking about this topic. Um, I've been at ASCA for about five, six years now. And for those who don't know, we're the national organization that advocates for ASCs, um, the biggest national organization. We have a few thousand members, um, but we advocate for the interests of all 6,000 plus uh, Medicare certified ASCs. Um, I would say a lot of what we do is related to federal regulatory advocacy. So Medicare related work is obviously a big component, but sometimes stuff like no surprises, surprise billing, stuff that's being handled on the federal level that affects ASCs is also very much our purview. And as you mentioned, we've been doing a lot of education and outreach and trying to make sure that our members and the ASC industry as a whole is positioned well to uh, respond to some of these new regulations. Awesome. Uh, that's super helpful. And, you know, I naturally want to jump in and start asking you all these questions. But I, I had a moment there where I was like, probably should take a step back for any of our listeners who doesn't uh, who don't necessarily know what the No Surprises Act is. And um, can you can you share a little bit on just what the No Surprises Act is uh, so that just our listeners are kind of aware? Yeah, I mean, so people in the healthcare industry have probably heard in recent years about surprise bills, or sometimes they're called balance bills. You know, basically, there's when a patient shows up and they receive a bill that's in excess of what they might expect, or maybe some charges for services that they didn't know about going in. Um, and it's become kind of a big publicity issue for healthcare, I think, in recent years, because you see all these news stories, horror stories, right, of people going in for a procedure, and, you know, maybe they need 
um, something complex to happen. And so they go in um, and then they come out, perhaps an, it's an emergency procedure even. And so they didn't really have a say about whether they needed this health care. But then they come out with some healthcare bill that's in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of exactly. dollars, right? And so there was this kind of willpower to mitigate some of that cost, you know, thinking patients are carrying too much yep. of this cost. And we know that healthcare is expensive, especially for some of these um, high cost services, complex services, but at least patients just have, have an expectation of what they're going to pay. And there should be a limit on what they should pay. So these are kind of the new regulations. I would say that there's basically two main scenarios that the regulation touches, although we're going to yeah. talk about a lot of different things. But broadly, the law is basically concerned with emergency services. So like I said, going in when you need something to happen and making sure that patients aren't paying too much. And then there's a second circumstance, which is non-emergency services, so elective procedures um, from out-of-network providers at in-network facilities. And this is where yeah. ASCs come in because, you know, an ASC is commonly an in-network facility, but also contracts with providers, physicians, um, external providers like pathology labs or yeah. someone like that, um, that might be out-of-network. And that's kind of the source of a lot of unexpected yeah. bills. Um, and so that's one of the major pieces that the law that, regulates. That's super helpful insight there. And I think it gives a good perspective on kind of what the legislation is and how um, ASCs fit into that mix. So, you know, kind of throughout the year, as we've talked with different customers and different players across the industry, you know, the No Surprises Act has definitely been a point of conversation. And I think many would say a point of controversy uh, throughout the year. And, mm -hmm. you know, with your pulse at ASCA on the industry, how would you say uh, you know, people across the industry are feeling right now about the legislation uh, with regards to ASCs? I think there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, and part of that comes from the rollout of the law itself. Um, so this law was passed right at the end of 2020. And then last year through 2021, they were issuing these rules. This is how the federal government basically creates yeah. regulation. Um, so there were three main rules that came out throughout last year that kind of outlined all these intricacies of how this new regulation would affect providers. And it was very dense. It was very complicated. And one thing that we will get to later is that it's still being yeah. crafted. So there's a lot of parts of the law that aren't exactly. concrete yet. So I think that contributes to a general, not just from ASCs, from all healthcare providers, a sense of uncertainty and like, you know, this thing came into being over the course of a year, which is yeah. not a very long time for people to adjust to this big new regulatory framework. And on top of that, it's still yeah. changing. So there's a sense of like, what do we even have to do um, to be in compliance? You know, And ASCs, because a lot of ASCs are independent, they're small, they don't necessarily have the resources like a hospital might to devote to this kind of regulatory compliance or keeping up with this stuff. So I think there's a lot of frustration and struggle to understand, you know, like, what do we need to do? Are we, are we in compliance yeah. now? Will we be in compliance in the future? Um, you know, those are tough questions. And I think the fact that the law is so complex uh, makes it even tougher to kind of provide resources and education. Yeah, that, that's a that's such a good point. And, you know, in terms of that complexity, you know, many times as I've talked about the No Surprises Act with people, I feel like everyone has this broad overarching idea of what it is. But then as we start to get into the nitty gritty on 
what this means for um, for everyone across the industry, it becomes much more nuanced and it's harder for people to kind of evaluate and, and kind of make decisions for themselves on, on what should be happening. And, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, what do you think is kind of holding surgery centers back around the, the No Surprises Act? But I think you're already leaning into that with the uncertainty. You know, what do you think are things that would help surgery centers in terms of understanding um, some of that un- uh kind of overcoming that uncertainty and understanding some of the legislation as it stands today. Yeah, I think one thing is that understand that a lot of the provisions in the act are not necessarily going to be impacting ASCs directly. So ASCs are kind are certainly subject to many of the regulations, but aren't necessarily involved in all of the intricate aspects. Um, you know, we might talk about some of the legal cases down in Texas or some of the things that have been taking up news stories. And, you know, that's big news in healthcare, but they don't necessarily affect ASCs. So that's one part. Um, the second part is that there have been a lot of good resources. You know, we at ASCA have been trying really hard to push out as much education. And, you know, that's not really even a plug for us as much as like if I can post a link to a model form or a model disclosure that a, um, a center can use. Um instead of creating their own document. You know, that's something that we're hoping to get out there. That that stuff yeah. exists out there. So I think maybe not trying, not feeling like a center has to do all of this work themselves, that there are these underlying resources that can help them get to where they need to be um, is definitely something big for facilities to understand. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's still complex. It's still tough to find these resources, but, uh, you know, getting some of that will help. We'll awesome. Well, before before I let you go today, I definitely want to make sure we cover some of those resources. But before we jump into some of those mm-hmm. steps that people can take on that side of it, coming back to kind of the pulse of where things have been in 2022, do you feel like centers are starting to warm up to it? Or do you feel like that uncertainty is kind of keeping a, a kind of darker cloud over it right now? No, I, th- I think there's, I think the uncertainty is reigning yeah. supreme right now. And um, one I think part of that is because, as I mentioned before, the law is still changing. So we're actually expecting some expansion of the <laughs> law, of the requirements related to the law in 2023 yep. and beyond. So as much confusion as there's been about what you have to do this year in 2022, I think you know these requirements are only going to get more, um, I don't want to say complex, but there are going to be more of them. Uh, centers are going to have to be aware of yep. more things. Um, so I think that contributes to a lot of uncertainty. Um, I think also there is a sense from the healthcare industry as a whole, um, you know, the federal government hasn't really been enforcing the requirements related to mm. surprise billing that strongly this year. Um, and that's intentional. They said, you know, this happened really fast and we don't want to penalize people for something that came up basically within the past calendar year. Um, but that also makes it difficult because there's not really a stick yeah. there. Um, you know, for some of these actions. Uh, So people aren't sure, you know, what is the level of enforcement going to be in the future? You know, like there are penalties that could be up to $10,000 per violation written into the law. You know, are they going to be really um, strict in enforcing that? And are centers going to have to be really diligent about keeping up with this? Or as we've seen in some other regulatory frameworks, you know, is it going to be only kind of the most egregious yeah. situations are going to be enforced? Yeah. Now, that's tough to know. And we really, I, don't I guess know from yet. what you've seen um, with the No Surprise Act and even with other legislation, you know, how are those things typically approached? Like, is there something that, you know, as we go into 2023, centers can can expect in terms of, you know, if we do end up in a scenario where they are 
enforcing it more heavily? Is there a certain amount of um, checks and balances that are already in place with, from a legislation standpoint to to audit a center or to um, to kind of review the review the estimates that centers are putting out? Is there anything like that that they can expect from a from an enforcement standpoint that you've seen elsewhere? Yeah, I wish I could say that I knew what it was going to look like, but I really don't. And I don't think anybody does yet, partially because the federal government has laid back for the moment and said, we're not really going to enforce this that strongly. Um, You know, I think we'll see. This is something that we're definitely keeping an eye on as this develops. There are, I think, pain points that I can already pinpoint that are going to be the crucial elements. So you mentioned estimates. And one thing that is not really being enforced this year, but is the interaction between an ASC and some of their external providers, an anesthesiologist or a pathology lab. And, you know, when you're trying to accumulate a estimate of costs for a patient, that's going to be one of the more difficult interactions, I think, if a center needs to get a cost estimate from a provider that they don't necessarily employ directly, that's, you know, that's, that might be difficult. And we've already heard, I've gotten tons of questions about what if they don't want to give us this estimate or what if they won't respond or all of that. And those are certainly valid concerns. And I think that's where enforcement will play a part in easing some of those yep. relationships, becoming the stick to this, um, you know, new regulatory yeah. framework. But again, you know, I wish I could say any more about how that was going to look operationally. And I just don't. And I think we'll know more over the next yeah, year that, or that, two. Uh, that's good perspective. I mean, I think no one has a true crystal ball for, for what's going to happen. And especially when it comes to legislation, I feel like anytime you're dealing with anything that's um, that's kind of based in the government or a legislative body, you, you kind of are um, somewhat waiting in the wind because it could be something that's high on someone's agenda and that the next year is uh, is largely enforced or it could be something that's slightly lower and kind of has a, a longer runway before there's some strict enforcement you know and, oh go yeah. ahead oh, i'm sorry well i was just gonna say and there's you know as we're all aware there's kind of these regular government processes that are interrupting this so we just had a changeover yep. in administration you know recently and we're about to have another election and sometimes it's unclear how um, you know, a new health and human services department will, you know, what they will look like in terms of enforcing this. And certainly we've seen in past in the past decade, some yeah. fluctuations in terms of how strict they'll be in for some of the, these other programs. And I, th- I think that's just the case with the all yeah, federal uh, government. That's very true. There's definitely a natural fluctuation between different different parties and different bodies that are kind of managing those areas. So, you know, without going too heavy on the crystal ball and predictions, if you were going to, you know, if you were talking to a center right now on kind of top three things they should prepare for or maybe should expect going into 2023 with regards to the No Surprises Act, what are those top three things you would tell them to be thinking about or preparing for? Yeah, I think what I said earlier that we're just at the start and this is just going to expand is something that's really important. Uh, for example, the good faith estimates that we've been talking about. Right now, those are only applying to uninsured or self-pay patients. So a a small subset of patients that an ASC might see. And so I think maybe ASCs haven't had to do very many of them or haven't had to compile this many estimates. But I mean, we've already seen a request for information in the past month from the federal government about expanding the good faith estimate requirement to insured patients. So if you're not set on the good faith estimates now, while it's just a smaller subset, you're probably going to be behind the ball once that expands in the future to all yep. patients, right? Insured patients as well. 
And, you know, I don't know how fast that's going to happen. It could happen in 2023. As I said, it's just a request for information at this point. We haven't seen any actual rulemaking, but it's probably good to start thinking about those things. The second thing I would say is those relationships. Um, we had already mentioned kind of third party, you know, anesthesiology, pathology, building those relationships and making sure that there's good communication. Those are going to be essential because right now, there's, as I mentioned, they're not really enforcing all of these costs, making sure all the costs are accumulated for an estimate right now. But those will be enforced in the future exactly. at some point. Um, so it'll be important to to have that relationship. And I think building on that, just any any way that you can build a process that makes it easier for your center. Again, ASCs are yeah. hospitals. There are, I'm sure, some that are big multi-OR facilities that have dedicated staff that can handle this. But if you're an independent 1OR, 2OR, single specialty facility, um, yeah, it might be good to start thinking about how these processes are going to work, you know, if you can automate it. I know HST, for example, has a partnership um, or has a uh, technology solution that can help with estimates. Um, I'm not saying that has to be yours, but maybe that can be something that can help yeah. you along the way. Thinking about those things to make your life easier now um, is going to be really crucial just because it's going it's only going to no, that, that, that's very true and if i'm if i'm hearing you kind of just recapping those those three things you mentioned there so one is being prepared from a, a good faith estimate standpoint two is having um, those relationships in place and kind of making sure you're coordinated in that regard and then three is planning around the processes and maybe those processes are enabled by technology but having the processes in place to make sure you're able to facilitate that um is that an effective recap on that? Yeah, I think that was a great, awesome. Great yeah, summary. I'm taking the mental notes. You're you're giving all the the good the good stuff there. I'm just trying to keep up. So awesome. Okay, you know you hinted at this a little earlier, and this is probably one of the the juicier parts of it that people have probably been seeing some headlines on. So you know with the the different Texas hospitals who um, have kind of pushed back on some of the the No Surprises Act, um, there's been a lot of um, kind of legal court cases that um, have been in place, and they've been filing lawsuits both at a state and a federal level with regards to this. You know, do you anticipate that? you know, what's happening with hospitals to be something that we can kind of start to think or, or see um, as a parallel for what might end up happening with ASCs as we go into this next year? I don't really think the court cases, the legal cases around this law are going to spread to the ASC industry as much. Um, certainly, there may be some action, but at least in my understanding, a lot of the court cases so far have been about uh, the dispute resolution process. So basically, when a provider, an out-of-network provider and a payer um, are disputing reimbursement, right? Because the law says a patient can only yep. pay this much, and that generally will leave an out-of-network provider and a payer in this kind of limbo um, without getting too deep yeah. into it. You know, the government set up this process that is supposed to adjudicate these disputes between providers and payers and basically said at the center of this process is something called the qualified payment amount, the QPA, which is a median in-network rate for your geographic yeah. area, which sounds reasonable, but you can think in practice may have some perverse incentives um, in the sense that, you know, if a payer, for example, knows that their starting point for all arbitration is going to be their yeah. in-network rate, then they don't really have an incentive to make that a high rate or to keep physicians in-network mm -hmm. whatsoever. 
So what we've been seeing, and this continues to happen actually, is that local payers will look, you know, basically threaten contract termination to covered providers or lower their in-network rates significantly, understanding that there's this process yeah. being set up that makes their median in-network rate uh, you know, basically the starting point for all these negotiations. It's it's a tough yeah. situation. Again, I don't necessarily want to burden ASCs with too much of this because I don't think ASCs will be that subject to some of these disputes. Certainly the physicians who work yep. in ASCs will. But for right now, one thing that's important for ASCs to note is like if you're an in-network facility and you contract with out-of-network providers, you will have some responsibility. If you're an out-of-network ASC, you're not covered by this law whatsoever. The law does not contemplate out-of-network yeah. facilities, elective procedures and out-of-network facilities. So if you're out-of-network with a patient, this law doesn't yeah. make any difference to your interaction. Um, so I think you know it's good, to, it's good to keep an eye on these court cases, on some of the legal drama that's happening, but it may not be as applicable to the ASC industry. Okay, in that's good to note. And I think the, that's probably a, a good thing for us. I think the, the complexities from a, a legal standpoint and court case standpoint obviously make it harder for, for you know, all parties involved to be able to, to move forward in an effective way. But great call outs there in terms of kind of the, some of the misalignments on the incentives between the various players in the industry. So, you know, as we're kind of thinking about some of the next steps and some of the the opportunities for surgery centers going into 2023, I know you mentioned that uh, there's different resources that they can take advantage of. And, you know, I, I know ASCA as a whole kind of publishes a, a ton of different resources. But, you know, are there any key things you would say that um, surgery centers and any of our listeners should maybe go to as great resources uh, with regards to the No Surprises Act? Yeah, I think for now, there's a few things that they, that centers can really take advantage of. Um, one is that as part of the law, uh, centers are required to disclose to patients protections offered under the law to them under, you know, surprise billing regulations. And the disclosures have a lot of requirements in terms of what the yeah. font is like and what language it's presented in and what information has to be applied. And it sounds like a lot, but there are model forms online. So you don't have to necessarily create this by yourself. You can just go to the CMS website and or the ASCA website. We posted it there and pull down this form, and that can be your satis- you know, that can satisfy your requirement for a disclosure to the patients. Um, similar, you know, this disclosure has to be put on your yeah. website, you know, in your physical facility. So you can make that a lot easier if you use some of the resources that are there. Uh, there's also model forms for good faith estimates, um, as well as a clear outlining of all the data elements that need to be included in that. Those things can really help you. You don't need to create these processes by yourself. And I'm hoping that as this law expands, you know, there will be more of those things. Certainly, I think even though the law is large and complex and confusing, CMS has seemed to be in good faith and offering as many resources, FAQs, webinars, slide decks as they can. So there's actually maybe too many resources happening <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, but I think if you're thinking about, oh, there's this form I need, or I'm not sure what the language is for this, it's probably out there and it's probably already been formatted for you and you, you just need to go awesome. find it. Awesome. Well, that, that's super helpful. Maybe what we can do is I will talk to our show producers and try and get them to put a couple of those links that you mentioned there into some of the show notes and, and we'll also share it um, across social as well so people um, have quick access to that. Uh, you know, as we kind of wrap up our episode today, um, you know, one of the things that we do every week with our guests is we ask them, you know, 
What is one thing our listeners can do this week to improve their surgery center? Doesn't have to be related to No Surprises Act. Just what is one thing they can do to improve their surgery center this week? Yeah, I, I love this question. And I honestly cannot wait to hear some of the responses no. you hear from future guests, because I'm sure it's just going to be, if you compile all these answers, it's just going to be great information for ASCs. One thing that I was thinking about that I'm not sure is possible in a week, but I think can be started in a week was to just be an advocate for your center. You know, we still hear on the local level, the state level, the national level, a lot of not just uncertainty, but people who don't know about ASCs in particular, you know, and the advantages that they can provide to patients in terms of better patient experience, lower costs, all of those things that we in the industry kind of inherently understand from working here. Um, so I think if you can advocate a little on behalf of your center, on behalf, you know, that advocates on behalf of the industry as well. And that could mean a little social media. It could mean some volunteer work. Yep. It could mean giving a lawmaker or an official a tour of your facility so they see, you know, you're not just some random facility. You're a state-of-the-art, you know, center that has all of the things that you might expect to have these procedures done safely. I think those things will go a long way. And hopefully as we kind of build the understanding of the ASC industry at the local and at the national level will get more policies that are favorable to our Heck industry. Yeah. I love that. I think, you know, one of the things I always talk about, and maybe this is the, you know, I used to be a product manager, so um, this might be the product manager in me, but anytime people can be an advocate or an evangelist for the places that they work or the products they work on, or, you know, in, in many cases for us, you know, with the patients they work with, you know, that is a, a massive opportunity. So I'm, I'm super aligned with that. Um, that. That's a great one there. I think that's a nugget that'll go really far. You know, Alex, I have really enjoyed this episode. I think we covered some great things. We got some great nuggets in terms of where the industry is today, what we can expect going into 2023. What are some of those great resources that people have access to? So you provided a ton for our guests. Where can people find you if they want to you know, hear more from you or uh, see any of the content that you're sharing? Um, or what's the best place for people to, to hear more from you? Yeah, so I do a lot of work with ASCA and, right, and, and put, pushing out advocacy or educational resources. Um, I'm not sure if we'll be able to share my email, but I'm always happy to answer questions. And I would say if you're not an ASCA member, we provide a lot of great resources. Um, some of that can be operational in terms of your Medicare billing. Some of that can be keeping up with No Surprises Act. And, you know, I write for our print magazine and our online magazine about these topics every month. So, um you can certainly find me on the ASCA website, all over our federal regulations pages and in Focus Magazine. And if, if I can, I'll share my email as well so people can reach out directly with awesome. any questions. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Alex. This has been a great episode and we, we look forward to hopefully having you on the podcast again sometime soon. Thanks, right. Raphael. As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. As we know, nurses are leaving their jobs at higher rates in this country has seen in a long time. That's not new for anybody. Forbes published an article recently titled, How to Ensure Your Nurses Stick Around Through the Great Resignation. And I feel like every time I read one of these articles, as I'm sure you're all in the same boat, I'm looking for something new, something that is tangible and could actually be effective. Um, this article is pretty good, and there were two tips that I thought were worth sharing. And I promise you that neither of them have anything to do with free food. Um, tip one is to look at different talent solutions in staffing agencies. 
maybe you've looked at them in the past, um, but it, it might be worth exploring again. While it might not always be the most economical solution, if you can fill in some gaps and reduce the need for double shifts and offer flexibility, it will hopefully stop your most tenured staff at least from leaving and let them know that you know that they need help and, and you're trying to find solutions for them. And tip two is to change or get rid of systems that just aren't working for your nurses any longer. And I feel like all the time we're talking about, you know, improving your processes on a day-to-day -day basis. But I think what's different about this tip is that you're looking at it from the nurse's perspective. What is not working for them anymore? And no one can spot a process improvement opportunity better than a nurse can. Um, when leaders take feedback from nurses on what can be improved, not only does do the processes themselves become optimized, but the nurses feel like their voices matter. And that's what's key here. So it's really a win-win for the business side of the house and also the clinical side. So you can set up a committee or a monthly meeting or have one-on-one -on -one meetings with all of your nurses uh, to collect this valuable feedback and make sure you're doing it in a way where your nurses are, nurses are comfortable sharing. Um, and then not only do you need to take their feedback, but you need to be extremely transparent on if you plan to use it, if not, why, and if you do, when. Second story here, um, Becker's ASC asked three surgery center leaders to look back at 2022 and share the smartest moves they made this year. Um, I thought that was a really interesting way to frame the question. As I was reading this article, I was actually struck by how many ASCs I've heard express interest in actually doing some of these things and seeing the benefits of it, but aren't quite sure about taking that leap. So I thought this would be a really good recap to share just in case anyone needed some inspiration to get started, or if you've been looking for your sign, here is your sign. Um, one admin in Texas said her smartest move was actually building and relocating to a new surgery center. Now, I know that's not an option for everybody, um, but it is on the table for some, and no further details were shared, but I can't imagine this was a huge undertaking, and it sounds like it paid off in one way or another. A second admin in Colorado shared that they went all in on investing in their nurses. So this actually really ties back to our first story, too. We all know how critical staffing is right now. Um, and this admin in Colorado shared two really great ideas, one for staff retention and one for staff satisfaction. Um, first, they went ahead and created a longevity incentive for all staff. So obviously, short-term solutions are you need to get people in the door, right? We need to hire people immediately. But keeping the good ones and keeping the ones who want to stay there um, can actually be done by this longevity incentive, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then second, they ensured that physicians would have the last patient in the PACU by 3.15 p.m. So that allows their staff to leave at a reasonable hour and enjoy a better quality of life um, and have a better work-life balance. And that's what touches on the staff satisfaction. So um, just to recap, longevity incentive and um, closing down at a reasonable hour and sticking to it. Lastly, the third admin in California said their smartest move in 2022 was implementing an EHR and outsourcing their billing. Both of those changes had huge impacts on their business um, by adding visibility and analytics in a way they didn't have before. 
So if you've been considering either of those things or any of those things listed, um, might be good to, to kind of take that first step. Our third story, um, advocates are working hard to increase the number of Latino physicians and, and surgeons. So according to NBC News, and just to kind of give you some numbers here, Latinos account for only 7% of the overall physician and surgeon workforce. And at the same time, according to the latest 2020 census numbers, almost 20% of Americans are Latino. So there's a pretty significant gap there that needs closing. It's so important that there's a proper balance and representation at all levels, but this disparity is also doing patients a huge disservice. Um, studies have shown repeatedly that when a physician speaks the same native language as their patient and they're able to relate to the cultural experiences of their patient, they are more likely to have better outcomes. And of course, thinking about the patient first, you can understand why this is so important. There's just that added sense of safety and comfort and understanding, especially when it comes to high stress situations like, like your health and having surgery. Um, so that's not the only benefit. And aside from all the other ones, um, if you put yourself in your patient's shoes, you'd understand why it's important that, we, and we should all be doing something about this. Since California does have the largest Latino population, a lot of advocacy groups are planning to start there and then planning to expand. A few that are doing amazing work in this area right now are the California Medicine Scholars, the Alliance and Mentorship, and the National Hispanic Medical Association. So I recommend checking out any of those. And I'm sure there are um, others that are also working to increase the number of Latino physicians and surgeons. And to end our news segment on a positive note, people shared a story about an orthopedic technician in California who goes out of his way to customize the casts of his young patients. So. He takes the time to draw their favorite cartoon characters, sports teams, whatever they want, um, onto their casts. And as you can imagine, the kids absolutely love it and are proud to show off their cast instead of being embarrassed or feeling different by them. Um, and by now, he said he's painted over a thousand casts. And if you head to the episode notes of this podcast episode, you'll see the People article, and I promise you it's worth checking these pictures out. They're super cool. He's really, really talented. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure you subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. We really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you again next week.